of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus said, standing in the holy place, get out of your house, don't even go back. If you're, if you're on the housetop, don't even go inside to get clothes, flee. Because the Antichrist is going to show his true colors and begin a wave of persecution against the Jewish people. The world has never seen anything like it from the very beginning until that time, nor will ever see anything like it again. So not only does he break his covenant with Israel, which is why he goes into the rebuilt temple. Okay, but he breaks his covenant with, or his relationship with the apostate church. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, The hatred of the Antichrist and his followers against the apostate church is so violent that the reaction is described as the cannibalistic picking of her bones then burning them with fire. I mean, <laughs> he hates this thing. This world church thought he was their friend, you know? And, of course, the devil has no friends. The devil hates his own people as much as he hates all of us who are God's people. Those people that think that they are somehow the friend of the devil are deceiving themselves. The devil has no friends. He will use a person until he uses them up, and then he will cause them to self-destruct, either through drugs, alcohol, suicide. I've seen this many times. I have heard many testimonies of people that were involved in the occult, Satanism, who got out by the grace of God who will tell you they knew many people, you know, that thought they were just, a, you know, they, they, they got into Satanism, or they got into the occult because they wanted the power. And they, along the way, they kind of thought the devil was their friend, their ally, you know, and, and, and but they realized that he wasn't their friend at all. Because after he was done using them, and, and a lot of times what happens was they just went insane. They heard voices, which caused them to start taking alcohol, drugs, to drown the voices out until they just self-destructed. Okay, the devil has no friends. And um, he hates this woman who thinks they're working together as much as he hates the true people of God. And so at one point he turns on her. He doesn't just kill her. He rips her to shreds, whatever that means. He really goes after her. Verse 17, For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. This is interesting uh, and very common, by the way. God put it into their hearts. God has directed the judgment against the religious Babylon at the hands of the political Babylon, right? Right? God will often use one group of ungodly people to judge another group. You say, well, how does that work? Well, well, let's use this group for an example. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
Therefore, God sent them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, the Antichrist, until the midpoint when he turns on them. Well, if they were, would have received the love of the truth, they wouldn't have been deceived. So it's their fault, really. Again, if people want to reject God, reject the word of God and all, then really it isn't God's fault what happens to them. If they live their lives in rebellion against God, God will then use others to judge them, to take them out. I think of Pharaoh. I think of, of different examples of this, how God even used the ungodly Babylonians to judge Israel for a while. And Habakkuk absolutely couldn't get his mind around that. Lord, I know we're bad, he said, but they're much worse than we are. Why would you use them to judge us? Because you know better. You have my truth, they don't. I mean, with knowledge comes responsibility. That's why judgment always begins at what first? The house of God. We know better. When we don't live... What God has said is not because we don't know what God has said, because we are unwilling to do what God has said. And God holds that as an act of rebellion and transgression that even supersedes the ignorant when they don't obey what God has said. Not that any are truly ignorant, because God has written his laws in all of our hearts and given us a conscience that tells us when we're doing something right or, or wrong. So ultimately, nobody can say, I didn't really know. God, two ways God has revealed himself. The outward testimony of the creation, the inward testimony of our conscience, both of these work together. Every person on the face of the earth has enough information that they are held responsible by God in the day of judgment if they don't seek to know him based on what they have, he's already revealed to their heart. Well, finally, verse 18. And the woman who, whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Well, of course, in John's day, that great city um, seems to be a clear reference to Rome, which was the political, economic, and religious center of the world in John's day. But does that mean the Rome that we're talking about, that this woman represents, is religious Rome in the sense of the Roman Catholic Church only? I don't think so. Because Babylon and the mystery religions of Babylon, as we said last week, when Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians, these priests and all migrated to Pergamos, where they set up shop for the next few hundred years. And then uh, at the end of the fourth century AD, when, you know, when Rome became the political and um, spiritual and financial center of the world, they migrated up to Rome following the money and the power. So the Catholic Church grew out of this, but it's not limited to them. Again, Mystery Babylon goes a lot farther than just the Roman Catholic Church. Revelation 18, we are coming, well, we're, we're coming out of this pretty dismal section where judgments are being poured out. Uh, starting in chapter 19, uh, everything changes. And so uh, that should be fun to get into that. But in chapter 17 and 18, we are brought face to face with two Babylons. The Babylon of chapter 17 is religious, and the Babylon of chapter 18 is commercial. Now, many commentators believe that these two Babylons are one and the same. I personally believe that Mystery Babylon, spoken of in chapter 17, speaks of Rome, the city of Rome. And um, 
it's going to be destroyed sometime prior to the midpoint of the tribulation period. And when it goes down, the religious center of the world is going to shift from Rome at that time to Jerusalem. You remember at the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, sets up his image in the Holy of Holies, and demands to be worshipped as God as he now begins his own religious system where he is God. Now, commercial Babylon is different. I believe, and, and this is by no means a settled fact, good commentators, wonderful, uh, godly commentators have debated this for many years, for centuries. Uh, many believe they're the one and the same. Uh, I believe they're different. I believe you have, in chapter 17, you have Rome is the city that's being talked about. Uh, when that's destroyed, Jerusalem becomes the center of religion for a while until the Antichrist, of course, overthrows all religions except for his own and establishes himself as God. I believe, though, the Babylon in chapter 18 speaks of commercial Babylon or uh, the world government, which I believe is literally going to be the ancient city of Babylon rebuilt by the Euphrates River. It's going to become the final capital of the beast, of the Antichrist, and his government at that time. And as we've already seen in chapter 17, when the Antichrist rises to power, he needs the world church to assist him. He needs them. He needs the world's religions coming together to, to really back him and put, and put him into power. We saw this illustrated in chapter 17 as a woman, that speaks of the world church, riding the beast, that speaks of the Antichrist and this one world uh, government. She's riding the beast in the sense that initially she controls the beast, like a, a rider of a horse would control the horse. But at the midpoint, or right around there, uh, by this time the Antichrist has consolidated his power on the world. He no longer needs her. And so he, along with his ten kings, those that... Uh, rule over the ten regions of the earth, they turn on her and they kill her. We read this in chapter 17. If you want to turn there, picking it up at verse 15, John said, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, na uh, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now in John's day, uh, there was no doubt which city reigned over the kings of the earth. That was Rome. At that time, of course, Rome was the political, economic, and religious center of the world. So it's pretty clear to a lot of commentators, and I'm one of those that believes that uh, the woman in chapter 17 really speaks of the world church, which is located in Rome. Not that the Roman Catholic Church is, is the woman in its entirety. She's a part of it, uh, probably organizes the world in coming together into a one world religion, but it's much bigger than just the Roman Catholic Church, as we have said. It, it involves all religions apostate Christianity, as well as Islam and, and, and everything else under the sun. They all come together under this umbrella of this one world church. Now, of course, the 
uh, Antichrist and his followers destroy her at the midpoint. Uh, and he takes full control of the world, religious and political. And that's when we come to chapter 18. But at the end of the tribulation period, just prior to Jesus' return to the earth to establish his kingdom, we're going to see God is going to destroy commercial or political Babylon. So in chapter 18, verse 1, we just read these first three words, after these things. That's a phrase that we have seen numerous times in the book of Revelation. The Greek is metatauta, and it simply, again, means after this, after these things. It's kind of a, a break, okay? Uh, this prior section's over with. We're starting something new. After what things? Well, again, after the things of chapter 17. Or... After the woman, the world church is destroyed by the Antichrist and those who are loyal to him. And he establishes his own religious system, combining both the political and religious systems into one system, which God again will destroy at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory." Now, because of the language here, some people say, well, this must be Jesus. But the word another there, another angel, is the Greek word alas, and it means another of exactly the same kind. Uh, instead of heteros, which is a, another Greek word for another, which means another of a different kind. That's true. And so this indicates that this angel is exactly the same type as the angel we saw in chapter 17, verse 1. Very powerful angel. And may even be the angel that we saw earlier in chapter 14, verse 8, that had predicted the fall of Babylon. The fact that the earth was illuminated with the glory of this angel is significant for two reasons. You remember when Moses had come from the presence of God, his face shone like the sun, all right? And it began to fade after a while, so he put a veil over himself so that people wouldn't see the glory fading. But it seems like when people come from the presence of God, they tend to glow. This angel obviously has just come from the presence of God, so the angel is glowing, but it's significant also because ever since the fifth bold judgment was poured out in chapter 16, verse 10, darkness has covered the earth. So when this angel shows up radiating with the glory of God, he just lights the entire planet up, basically. Every eye is going to see this angel. Verse 2, he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The repetition signifies something that's emphatic, okay? Uh, is fallen, is fallen. But also I think you have two things that fall. You have religious Babylon, and then you have commercial Babylon in chapter 18. So the first is fallen, speaks of the fall of religious Babylon, 17, and then is fallen again, speaks of the commercial Babylons uh, that we're going to see here in chapter 18. But the question that has puzzled people for centuries, is this Babylon a literal city or is it symbolic in some way? I mean, is it literally Babylon by the Euphrates River or is it, you know, another name? I mean, you know, God does that. Uh, he called Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. Not that Jerusalem is Sodom or Egypt, but uh, at the time the Lord calls Jerusalem that, it's characterized by unbelief and immorality. And God will often do this. He will often call a city something like Babylon because it's become so corrupted. 
So commentators have been arguing for centuries as to whether we're speaking allegorically here or we are talking about the literal city of Babylon on the Euphrates River. Now, many good commentators and scholars believe that ancient Babylon, yes, the one that used to sit on the Euphrates River, is going to be rebuilt in the last days. You say, well, why? Because many of the Old Testament prophecies about the destruction of Babylon tell us that God is going to so totally destroy the city, it's going to be turned into a smoldering heap of rubble. Isaiah tells us that this ultimate destruction of Babylon is going to take place in the day of the Lord, which signifies during the Great Tribulation period. Isaiah went on to say in chapter 13, verse 19 and 20, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, or the Babylonians' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. How did God wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? With fiery judgments, right? Turn the cities into a smoldering heap of rubble. That's why commentators believe that's what's going to happen to Babylon. Verse 20, it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Turn to Jeremiah, chapter 51. I'll give you another passage on the destruction of Babylon. In Jeremiah 51, starting in verse 24, God is saying, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you, Roll you down from the rocks and make you a burnt mountain. They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. In other words, you're going to be so burned up, nobody's going to even be able to salvage a stone to build their house with. That's all wiped out. I'm going to make you. Uh, verse 61 of Jeremiah 51. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you arrive in Babylon and see it, and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Well, that's all well and fine. The only problem is that when ancient Babylon fell in 539 B.C., it was sacked by the Medes and the Persians, but it was not destroyed. In fact, later on, when Alexander the Great conquered the area, he actually made the city of Babylon his headquarters for a time. It was a pretty spectacular place, right? It contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The hanging gardens of Babylon were renowned. I mean, this is a city that was, uh, I think it was 15 miles square, uh, it had a wall 350 feet high and every 100 yards, a guard tower that rose up another 100 feet. It was 88 feet wide. They had chariot races on the walls around Babylon, uh, six abreast. It was a spectacular place. And it did fall to the Medes and the Persians in 539. They didn't destroy it. 
you remember the story, Cyrus the uh, Persian was able to, with his armies, to divert the Euphrates so that it dried up because the Euphrates went right through the town. They had an unlimited water supply until, and they felt very, uh, and of course there was a, uh, a gate that went down uh, into the Euphrates, but when they diverted the, the waters, the riverbed dried up and the soldiers came right under the gate. And of course, Belshazzar, who was uh, ruling at this time, felt very invincible. Even though the Medes and the Persians were outside the gates trying to get in and attack the city, he felt very confident through a party that night. Remember the famous story where you know, he, he calls for the uh, implements to be brought from the temple in Jerusalem, which they had captured years earlier, and took one of the goblets and was using it to drink from, and suddenly a hand comes up out of the goblet and writes on the wall, tekel, tekel, mining your farzim, which means you've been waiting the balances and found wanting. In other words, kid, your time is up, man. You haven't measured up, you're out. And that night, of course, the city fell, although because it was not taken by a direct assault, it was taken by stealth, it took three days for the entire city to find out they had been captured. So it was not destroyed like Isaiah and Jeremiah and others are talking about here. You say, well, what happened to it? It simply ceased to exist through attrition, not through utter destruction. And so the prophecies of it being turned into a smoldering heap of rubble have never really been fulfilled. And this has caused many commentators to believe that ancient Babylon is going to be rebuilt so that it can be destroyed the way God said it was going to be destroyed during the day of the Lord's judgment. Now, most of you realize that Saddam Hussein started to rebuild the city. He fancied himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, he never finished the job. So it, it still remains to be seen. And of course, many people laugh at the idea that ancient Babylon is going to be rebuilt. They say, that's ridiculous. It's got to be talking about some other city, maybe New York or London or some other place. But you know, Henry Morris, who's with the Lord now, wrote a fantastic commentary on Revelation. Suddenly, I quote, the site of modern Babylon is strategically located at the crossroads of Asia, Europe, and Africa, and is not far from the Persian Gulf. It is also near the world's richest oil fields and has a virtually unlimited water supply from the Euphrates. Those considerations led the famed historian Arnold Tornby to proclaim that Babylon would be an ideal site for an important political and cultural center, end quote. And, and I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe that during the first three and a half years of the Antichrist's reign on the earth, before Rome is destroyed, he is going to be feverishly rebuilding the ancient city of Babylon. We'll call it New Babylon. And uh, when Rome is destroyed, everything is going to shift to that place. Religious, political, everything will shift to New Babylon there in Iraq. So that's my feeling. I could be wrong. We could be talking about some other city allegorically. But based on the prophecies we've just read and some of the other things, I think that there's a really good, strong chance that Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Well, verse 2 once again. This mighty angel cried out with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. You know, the church, which is the bride of Christ, the Bible says, is the habitation of God himself. We are the temple of the living God. Of course, the church is going to someday live in her own city called the New Jerusalem. Not just the church, all the redeemed, both Old Testament saints, 
the church and the tribulation saints are all going to reside someday in a glorious city called New Jerusalem. We'll see more about that when we get to chapter 21. But in Revelation 21, verse 2, we just read a little part here. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And we get this image in Revelation 21 of this incredibly beautiful city, which seems to hover above the earth where we're going to be living there for eternity. Now, that's our city, right? Doesn't the Bible say in a few, uh, the Hebrews, I think, uh, chapter 11 or 12, somewhere around there, where, you know, we're strangers and pilgrims. And people like Abraham, w- way back as far as Abraham, you know, they realized they were just passing through. And they were waiting for a city whose builder and maker was God. So we're waiting for a heavenly city. This earth is not our home. But the earth dwellers, those people that have rejected Jesus Christ and have worshipped the Antichrist, this is their dwelling place. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.